0: Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Is anyone excited for church? Come on. Let's go. If we have not met, my name is Ali, and uh, my wife and I, we started this crazy place called Bold five years ago. And let me tell you why this is significant, because in four weeks, we will turn six. Anyone excited for birthday Sunday? If you've been here for any amount of time, every birthday, we cast prophetically a a prophetic word over our church. This last year, if you saw the stickers walking in, it's Word and Spirit. We got a new prophetic word for our church. Are you ready for it? Come on. And to get our hearts ready, one thing that my wife and I have done from the very beginning is we begin preparing our hearts with 21 days of prayer. So next week, we're going to give these away for free. It's a prayer guide for 21 days. Why? Because we want to prepare our heart for the vision and the word that God has for us. It's not that the word is weak. It's that our soil is hard. That's the issue. And uh, we are concluding. Some of you are super excited. Don't make it obvious. But we're finishing this collection of talks called The Seven. And I just got to warn you, today is the greatest threat that Jesus makes. But it's also the greatest blessing. If you have your Bibles with me, open it up to Revelation chapter 3. If if you don't have it, don't worry. We have it on the screen. When you see it, someone shout amen. Amen. To the church of Laodicea. Someone say Laodicea. Laodicea. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. My translation, Jesus is the OG of creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or cold. I wish you were either one or the other. Let me just pause for a moment. Because this is one of the most controversial verses in the entire New Testament. Yeah. And I just got to ask, I didn't get saved till the age of 24. I was born and raised in a Muslim home. And so many of you, you were raised in church. Anyone grow up in church? Anyone, keep your hand up. If you went to youth group as a little kid, this verse was used as a weapon against you. Let me just tell you. You, are, you still have trauma over this verse. Because your youth pastor says, hey, don't be cold. Be on fire for Jesus. And let me just tell you, he was an idiot, okay? And I'll tell you why that is the incorrect translation and interpretation of that verse. And and Jesus continues, so because you are lukewarm, someone say lukewarm. Lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Praise the Lord Jesus. (laughs) You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold for those who are Spanish-speaking, oro, refined in the fire. Got Duolingo downloaded on my phone. I'm getting better. Come on. So that you become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Let me just speak to all the millennials in this room who hate performance reviews, get triggered when your boss corrects you, God disciplines those he loves. If he's not disciplining you, you ain't part of the family. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. Another one of the controversial verses. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne. Woo, what a promise. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, if you're new to us, with us today, you know that, you don't know this, but for the last seven weeks, we've had a theme song for every church that Jesus speaks to. And today is no different. I had a choice, either Humble by Kendrick Lamar or this song. And my wife begged me not to do the Kendrick Lamar song. Even though I was convinced this morning I should switch it last minute. I'm telling you, you've never heard the song, but it goes perfect with this sermon. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's listen. <laughs> you and I sing the song, by the way. I can't wait to look into it. I also get Come on! Someone say it's hard. It's hard. Someone say a little out. Say it's hard. Kind of my sermon. It's hard to be humble. It's hard, especially when when you're this good looking and your outfit's this fresh. It's hard. Someone say it's hard. Let's pray for today's sermon because I'm coming for you guys. Lord Jesus, thank you that your word is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we can fake it on the outside, but you see our heart. God, we can hide our pride, but we can't hide it from you. God, pride is the most destructive thing in the world. It corrupts the inside, and then it corrupts the outside. God, convict us today, because every person in this room has this issue. Every person in this room is not humble like you, Lord. You are the humble one. You're the one that left heaven. You're the one that was a king that became a baby. You're the one that laid your life down, not for your friends, but for your enemies. And we're grateful, Lord. And we didn't just come in here to get some information. We came in here to get transformation. We didn't just come to study you. We came to experience you. Speak to us this morning, Lord. Reveal yourself to those who don't even believe in you this morning. That, God, you're not a God to just be studied and learned about. You're a God to be experienced. And if you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Give yeah. just Jesus a round of applause this morning. Come on. <laughs> Now, I got two kids, my seven-year-old. Uh, she has a love language. It's very different. Her love language is board games. <laughs> Guess who, Battleship, Monopoly. I'm teaching her risk. It's awesome. Uh, she's, and and he, part of the, the journey of fatherhood is you have to give your kids character. So she's actually never won a game against me. <laughs> and she cries, but it's good for her. And there's this tension as a father. In one moment, you can feel two emotions, joy and at the same time, sadness. And any parent who's, who's ever, like, seen their kids progress knows you can feel both of these emotions in one moment. In, in one moment, you have joy because in college, I killed every plant that I had. and my kids five, I'm doing something right, right? I got joy. I'm playing with her. At the same time, I'm sad because she's progressing. The, things, the mistakes she would make a year ago, she's not making today. I'm I'm halfway enjoying myself at the same time, hiding the fact that I'm crying that my girl is growing up too fast. Any parent know what I'm talking about? My daughter, though, she has a secret that I'm, I'm embarrassed to share. This is me confessing my sin. My, my, I kick my daughter's button every game, okay? But there's a game. Either she is a savant or I am mentally handicapped. I don't know which one it is. And I don't want to know the truth, actually. And it's this game. It's this matching game. My, my, mom, my wife, not my mom, uh, bought this game for us. And it, it, on the back of these cards are pairs of animals. And my, my, I remember teaching my daughter, we would put out 10 cards. And by, like, it, with 10, it's just like a stroke of luck which one you flip over. So we're playing a couple times, and she wins sometimes, I win sometimes. And then I'm like, you know, Sophie, I'm tired of losing. Let's put all 50 out. <laughs> convinced I'm going to win. She wins the first time. And I'm like, okay, this is beginner's luck. And then we play again. And then she beats me again. And like, there's this happiness that, this is my daughter, but then there's like this anger because I'm prideful. And it got to the point where I wouldn't let her leave the game. She's like, Daddy, I want to play another game. Shut your mouth. We're playing again. We played six times and I only won once. And she even tried to tell my wife, I beat that. I'm like, no, she didn't, honey. She was just beginner's luck. I was too embarrassed to admit that a five-year-old, I'm I'm embarrassed now, a five-year-old beat me. Now, go Sophie, Sophie, that's right. (laughs) We've never played that game again, by the way. I'm not living that again. And if you're honest this morning, how many would you admit that you are prideful like me somewhere in your life? The people that have their hand up, these are the honest people. The people that don't have their hand up, they're prideful, but they just don't know it yet. <laughs> and this is the problem with the church at Laodicea. They're prideful. See, pride is, an, is not an external thing. It's an internal thing. See, often we focus on the external sin, the cussing, the drinking, maybe the, the alcohol, the drugs, all those things that we can see. You can't see pride, but I'm going to show you in a moment. You can hear it by the way it speaks. And pride is the the most destructive, whereas outside sins will corrupt your body, pride will corrupt the inside, and then it corrupts the outside. And pride is different, because how many know we can hide it, amen? You can smile and be super demonic. How many know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And one theologian, he describes it like this. This is Richard Baxter from the 17th century, he says. Self is the most treacherous enemy and the most insinuating deceiver in the world. Of all other vices, it is both the hardest to find and the hardest to cure. Why is pride so destructive? The theologian Joel Beek says this. Pride is devastating sin and is complex. Why? Most sins turn us away from God, but pride directly attacks God. It lifts us above and against God, seeking to dethrone him by enthroning ourselves. And if you've been at Bold for any amount of time, you know I got to quote C.S. Lewis, the original OG of theology. And he says this, and this is the most convicting of the three. In God, you come against something in which every respect is immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know that God is that, superior to you, you know, therefore you know yourself as nothing in comparison. You do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And, of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see that which is above you. Woo! If you were to look through these seven churches that Jesus speaks to and summarize each one of these seven churches with one word, the church of Ephesus is the distracted church. The church of Pergamum is the pressure church. The church of Smyrna is the pressured, or, I'm sorry, the, the church of Smyrna is the pressure church. The church of Pergamum is the compromised church. Thyatira is the woke or the tolerant church. Sardis is the dying church. Last week was Philadelphia, and they're the evangelistic church. Laodicea is the narcissistic church. Modern day, these are the Laker fans and Cowboy fans. I get asked all the time, Pastor Ali, why don't you make fun of Raider fans? They're all in prison. They won't. Come on now. I'm just preaching God's word. Let me show you a map of these seven churches. This is, is modern-day Turkey, which is Asia Minor. Most of these cities, if you notice, Laodicea is the most inward. It is, it is modern-day New York. If you were to go to New York City today, there are four hubs in the United States. There is uh, D.C. for politics, L.A. for like celebrity, the Bay Area for tech, and New York for finance. Laodicea is the hub of the first century for finance. And when Fashion Week happens, it doesn't happen in Georgia or Chicago. It happens in New York. In the same way, when fashion is exploding in the new century, guess where it explodes? Laodicea. But not only that, not only are they the wealthiest of all the seven cities, not only are they they're the best dressed, they got the pandas, they got the Yeezys, but they have the best medical schools in all of the first century. And that's very important because these medical schools, their, their primary focus is an ointment of blindness. And Jesus is going to use that analogy to speak to these churches. Let me show you a picture because this is the only one of the seven cities that's still around. Look at this picture. This is modern-day Laodicea. You can visit this church today. It is the most beautiful. It has the greatest architecture. Uh, the, the city used to be called the Dystopolis but a wealthy man who wanted to flirt with his wife gave a bunch of money and had it named after his wife. How many know he's lucky that night? Come on. (laughs) This is a picture of the actual church. This is the church at Laodicea. Next picture. And the question is, why is Laodicea... So prideful. Because if you go to New York, there's this ethos, there's this attitude. It's very different than, let's say, Oakland, California. It's very different than, let's say, Atlanta, Georgia. The attitude in Laodicea is that of pride. They're the smartest, they're the wealthiest, the best dressed people. And the reason why this attitude shows up often, you don't realize it shows up in every area of their life. So in 200 years after this letter was written, there's this earthquake that destroys Laodicea. And remember during COVID when the government shut down everything and they wanted to keep businesses open so they'd give grant money to businesses to stay alive? The same thing happened in Laodicea. 30 years before the book of Revelations was written, an earthquake happened. And the Roman emperor starts giving all these cities like COVID money, if you want to call it, like grant money. Laodicea said, no, we Gucci. We're, we're fine. We don't need your money. Why? Because it's hard to be humble. Because they're prideful. And that attitude that's in the city is now showing up in church. That attitude that I don't need anyone's help is showing up in the the house of God. I don't need anyone to help me. I don't even need God. And it's self-sufficient. You can hear it from the way that the Christians talk. Pride isn't something you see often, something you hear. I wrote like this that sometimes uh, we have to make sure as a church that we are people who are influencing our city, not being influenced by our city. So this church is prideful because of they're wealthy, they're intelligent, and they're best dressed. But why are they lukewarm? We've got to study the topography. Uh, I'm going to show you this verse in Colossi, Col- Colossians. Um, this is the apostle Paul, and he's, he's actually pastoring three churches. The church at Laodicea, the church at Heropolis, and the church at Colossae. And he says this, I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and those at Laodicea. Someone say Laodicea. Laodicea. And Heropolis. Someone say Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke. Luke is the author of the book of Luke and the book of Acts. The doctor and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Mm -mm -mm. Female church planner. All the chauvinistic men get uncomfortable. After this letter was written to you, see to that you read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So Paul writes this, tr- this letter, Colossians, to Colossians. says, when you're done reading it, send it over to that city next to you, Laodicea. And then when they're done with their letter, read their letter. And the question is, where is their letter? It's gone. God didn't save it for some reason. And, but the key is, I want to show you this picture to understand the topography. If you look at Laodicea, next slide. Laodicea is 10 miles north of Colossae. Colossae is known for their spring water, ice cold refreshing water. You ever have a brand new Pellegrino and you're parched? It's like, ah, that's the water of Colossae. Before Pellegrino, was, Colossae was that water. And so because Laodicea, Laodicea is so bougie, they don't want to door dash this, this, this water to them. They build an aqueduct from one city to the next because they don't want to travel 10 miles. They want that cold water coming to them. The problem is it doesn't travel fast enough. So what's cold in Colossae is now lukewarm in Laodicea. Now, the next city is Heropolis, which is five miles north of Laodicea. It has water, but different kind of water. It's hot spring water. Anyone ever been to a hot spring before? It smells like sulfur. It's, it kind of stinks a little bit. But it, the water in most hot springs is healing in nature makes your skin soft. It it, it has herbal remedies for, for your skin. And, and so the, the Laodiceans are like, Psh, we bougie. We want this water too. So they build another aqueduct. One from Heropolis to Laodicea. But the same problem happens. What was once hot is now lukewarm. And the problem is your youth pastor doesn't know how to read the Bible. So he says, I want you to be hot or cold. I want you either to hate God or love God. Either be all in or Or leave the church. And that has nothing to do with Jesus' saying. He's using both hot and cold as two positives. See, you can be a cold Christian. You can be refreshing in a very dry place. You can be in an environment where everyone is discouraged and you bring life and encouragement to them. And there's power in being the one person who's hopeful. The one person who's encouraging. Everyone else is gossiping except for you. And people love to be around you. It's okay to be cold in Jesus' name. At the same time, you can be hot that when others lie and steal at work, you don't. There's a purity to your walk with God. And Jesus is speaking to this church saying, you're not hot and you're not cold, which are two positives. You're lukewarm. You're worthless. That's what Jesus is saying. So you can send a youth letter to your youth pastor and say, I just learned what the Bible says. You're wrong. <laughs> Andrea Lee, this theologian, she says, self-sufficiency is the code word for pride. This kind of pride thrives when it can hide behind safe words. See, the Laodiceans, they weren't refreshing to their culture, and they weren't purifying to the culture. They were just lukewarm, which is the essence of pride. Pride, it sounds like this, I'm a self-made man. I'm an independent woman. I made this business. I bought this house. I made this car. Everything in my life is because of me. You hear pride before you see pride, which is why Jesus says these words in Revelation 3, verse 14, to the Angel in the church of Laodicea, these are the words of the amen. Someone say amen. Amen. And the faithful. Someone say faithful faithful. And true witness. And the ruler of God's creation. Jesus' answer to the pridefulness of the Laodiceans is to give them a theological lesson of who the Trinity is. See, when Jesus is saying he's the amen, he's saying, I'm the one that completes you and fulfills you. You're not the one who put the universe in, in order. You're not the one who put the stars in the sky, the, the Nemo in the ocean, and Simba in, the, in Africa. I did that. I'm the amen of heaven, not you. And then he says, I'm the true and faithful and true witness. You don't define truth. We hear that in our culture sometimes. That's true for you. This is true for me. What Jesus is saying, is that prideful? Because you didn't create truth. You don't define truth. And you can't make truth. I define what truth is. And then he says, I am the OG of God's creation. This is the clearest example of Jesus super clear saying, I'm God. I'm not a prophet, I'm not a good man. Creation didn't create Jesus. Jesus created creation. Yeah. The preacher's commentary says this. It says Jesus Christ is prior to the creation and the mystery of the holy fellowship of the triune God, the created order has come into being because of Jesus Christ. He is the very word, the very decision of God by which the created order has come into existence. Why is Jesus flexing on the church of Laodicea? You have to understand why, because it's pride. I word it like this. Pride is always a direct assault against truth concerning Jesus. Yeah, Anytime you find someone prideful, they think they're better than God. Yeah. They, they think they're, they're greater than God. They, they, they bring something to the, to the equation that God is. And this is, this is... What, how prideful people talk. When, prideful, when we become proud, we become our own amen. When we become proud, we become our own faithful and true witness. When we become proud, we become the self-originator, the seat of our creation, the seat of our destiny. I'm a self-made man. I'm an independent woman. I made this business, this house, this car. It's all because of me. Three things about pride. Number one, pride refuses to acknowledge God's greatness. It refuses All you look at is what you contribute to the equation. I went to school. I got good grades. I got this promotion. I went to LinkedIn and got this job. It's all because of me. And God will look at you and say, who gave you oxygen? Who gave you those legs? Here's a better question. Did you pick your parents or did I? There's actually a scientific study that most successful people in our culture, it is completely random. In the early 70s, late 60s, there was one high school in America that first introduced computers to high school students. It's the first high school in America, and there were 12 students in this program. One of those students would take this computer science class, first of the 12 in America, he would go to form the largest software company in the world. His name was Bill Gates. And his success was completely out of his hands. See, Pride says, I'm the smartest person in the room. I made this, and God says, no, no, no. I, I decided when you're born and where you're born. Pride refuses to acknowledge the goodness and the sovereignty of God. Second thing, pride causes an overestimated value of ourselves, overvalued assessment of ourselves. It's either too low or too high. Either you sound like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, woe is me. I'm a nobody. I'm a sinner. yeah, uh, Right? And you just talk negative. You're just, you're just this awful person that no one's, it's like, no, 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 no. That's not God. That's, that's pride, by the way, because you see no value in Jesus dying for you. And your value is not determined by what you contribute. It's by what God is willing to pay to get you back. And he paid his son for you. So you're priceless. You just don't know it. But the other extreme is that you're so awesome, you're above God. I made this family. I built this business. I'm awesome. It's me, myself, and I. And God wants you to avoid the two extremes where you're below Him, you're the dirt, and you're above God. It's what God, what I call Godfidence. Godfidence, where you can acknowledge God is going to do something amazing in me. Not because I'm awesome, because I'm connected to the vine. I'm abiding in him. He's the vine, I'm the branch. And life is coming through because I'm connected to him. If I do anything awesome, the glory belongs to him. That's why in Proverbs 21 says, we can prepare the horse for battle, but God gives the victory. Yeah. It's not that you neglect hard work. It's that when, even when you do it, the results are up to him. And when you are prideful, you overestimate yourself and you underestimate God. Number three, pride removes Jesus from the interior of who we are. Look what it says in Revelations 20. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. I remember hearing this verse. All the evangelists love this verse, by the way. They're like, oh my gosh, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And they preach this verse trying to get people saved. And that's not what Jesus is talking about, by the way. Jesus is not writing this letter to Christians, not to one Christian, but to a church. This church is so prideful. This church is so full. They're having a church service, and Jesus is outside. And he's like, guys, can I come in and do church with you? And think about the humility of God. This is the amen of the universe. This is the king of kings. If I was God, I would kick the door down and start slicing people up. (laughs) Jesus is just knocking in humility. He's okay with you not letting him in. Seeing, I'd love to come in and do church with you guys. My father-in-law, he will come over once a week unannounced. That's what Middle Eastians do. Super annoying when I don't have it in my calendar. And he'll knock on the door. And when I don't answer the door, he'll go to the window. And then he'll start walking around the house, knocking on every... I'm like, what if I'm doing something I don't want you to see? I didn't say it. Jesus is literally, I could just see Jesus knocking on the door, and the church isn't open. and then he goes to the window and goes, guys, I just want to come in. How do we deal with pride? Because all of you raised your hand, and if you didn't, your heart raised your hand for you. We all deal with pride. For me, it's when I'm playing matches with my five-year-old. For some of you, it's at work. For some of you, it's in your marriage. For some of you... It's with your relatives, some of you with your neighbors. We all have pride. How do we deal with it? Now, maybe some of you have heard this verse by C.S. Lewis, and it's great, but it's not very helpful. Jesus, C.S. Lewis says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, just to give yourself less. Sounds pithy, right? You don't know what to do with that, though. <laughs> and Jesus wants to give us a three-step antidote on how to deal with pride. It's right here in Revelations 3, verse 18. I counsel you. To buy from me gold. Someone say gold. gold. Refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes. Someone say white clothes. White clothes. And get a tall tee for Jesus to wear. So that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve. Someone say salve. salve. Jesus has spit for us in Jesus' name to put on your eyes. For all of you that have been in church for the very first time, we have a gift bag outside. We have a t-shirt. We have gold in my spit in a jar for all of you today. <laughs> Can you imagine if we gave that gift to you, how awesome that would be? Three-fold step. Someone say, it's hard. It's hard hard to be humble. But Jesus wants to give us a three-step process on how to get out of pride and walk in humility. You want that, church? You ready for God's word? Here's the first thing you got to do. Number one, there must be a change in security. There must be a change. There is something that you lean on that gives you confidence. That you get your value from your worth from for some of you it's your business for some of you it's the car that you drive the clothes that you wear maybe it's your good looks it's your six-pack it's your home i don't know what it is maybe you're in school it's your grades there is something that you boast about that when people say who are you the first thing you do is you pull that out and jesus is saying man Laodiceans, you lean on this gold. I know you're wealthy, I know you have a large 401k, you got crypto and stock and all these things, but the security, that money, ain't gonna provide you what you need in the long run. That that the security is lying to you. That's why I love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this: For by grace you have been saved. Someone say, grace. Grace. Grace is different than mercy. In a court of law, if I let's say I broke the law, I went. 100 miles an hour on a 25 zone, my ticket would be $1,000. Mercy would cancel the debt. Grace is better than mercy. Not only would grace cancel the debt, the, the judge would give me $1,000. In, in the kingdom of God, God did not just forgive your sin, he blessed you. For those of you that are new to Christianity, you don't have to achieve salvation. You receive it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Someone say faith. Through faith alone, we believe in Jesus. You, everyone in this room, fall short of the glory of God. All of us are prideful. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. Someone say works. So that no one can boast. See, in the first century, especially in the church of Ephesus and most of Asia Minor, Roman Empire was constantly on this expansion mission, trying to expand their kingdom. And if you're part of our church, anyone part of the dream team at Bull Church? Come on. Repeat after me, this, this tribe, outside. come on, we, got, we get loud in this church. And an hour before church, we are outside getting hyped because it's never just another Sunday. The Roman Empire would do the same thing. They would get together, and instead of glorifying God with God, they would glorify themselves. Our army is bigger than their army. Our king is better than their king. Our weapons are, and they would boast about their goodness and strength. And that attitude came into Christianity. Because Christians begin boasting about their church attendance, how often they read the Bible, and they begin to think that their works is what got them saved. And Paul's saying, Bro, you fall short. There's no boasting in Christianity. My question for you this morning is what do you boast about? Is it your career? Is it your job title? Or how much money you have in the bank? Where do you get your security from? Because Jesus is saying, man, you, you think you have so much, but you have nothing. Try to get your security from this business, this bank account. Sell that gold, because it will never give you, buy gold from me. That's what Jesus is saying. If you want to get rid of pride, the first thing I do is get rid of this false sense of security from some external thing. It can only come from the true riches in Christ. Number two, there must be a reorientation of affirmation. Counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That's the first one, so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear. We're going shopping in Jesus' name. What is Jesus talking about? So you've got to understand that shame and righteousness are, are very closely aligned. The reason why you and I are so prideful is we're trying to hide our shame. And what we do is we're embarrassed about our weakness. We're embarrassed about if people see us for who we really are, they won't love us. So we put a mask on and present this picture of this self to the world because we don't want to be seen as weak, as less than. If you look at most people who are addicted to narcotics, it's more, listen, it's more than just getting high. They're dealing with pain. They're trying to numb the pain. And pride is the same way. We're like this. Pride is the drug used to hide the pain of my shame. And where drug addicts will tap on that cocaine, prideful people will tap on that to hide their shame. Flexing. Look at me. And God says, you want to change? You want to be a different person? You want to be humble? You got to change your clothes. And he's been trying to change our clothes from the first page of the Bible. Look at this. This is Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, they are naked and unashamed. You know why your spouse wants to turn the light off when she changes in front of you? Because of shame. And Adam and Eve never turned the light off when they were around each other. And then sin entered the picture. And it very clearly says that shame entered the world. And they covered themselves with fig leaves. That's their boasting. They were trying to hide who they were. And God says, this is the only solution. And God made garments of skin. He took an innocent animal that had done nothing wrong, and it died in their place. And they took the righteousness of that animal and clothed them. This is the first declaration of the gospel, by the way, in the Bible. That in Christ, you're taking off your Laker jersey because it's demonic. And you're putting on the clothes of Christ. When you boast, it's not that you have a big business, but that you're loved by God. Not that you love him, but that he loves you. You don't boast in your church attendance. You boast in his righteousness, that he died for you. Not when you were his friend, but when you were his enemy. And a Christian stops boasting about themselves, and you start boasting about him. Someone say, it's hard. It's hard to be humble. Number three. There must be a renewal in the way that we see. See what I told you, Laodicea, they, there was this threefold awesomeness that they had. They were the wealthiest of, of all the cities. They, they actually had an exchange rate. Cicero would say, go change money there. They had the freshest clothes in that city. And they had the best medical schools. Specifically, they would make ointment to help with blindness. And Jesus saying, man, I, I don't really care about your physical blindness. I want to speak to your spiritual blindness. I want to give you a salve that may not help you see things right, but you'll see eternity right. Jesus, what I love about him, he walks in humility. Jesus, he, he had a goal that wasn't even his. Many theologians say that when Jesus was born, he was actually very, very poor. Because the Old Testament law says when you, when you have a son, a first son, you have to bring him to the temple and offer an offering to God. Because the firstborn belongs to God. And the, the law says you bring a lamb. And Jesus' mom and dad, they didn't bring a lamb. You know what they brought? A pigeon. Because Jesus' family was poor. See, Jesus had security in something other than gold. And then he didn't boast Jesus say, Why are you here, Jesus? He'd be like, Oh, my dad told me to come. Who gave you this authority? My father told me. He never once claimed his own authority, he never once claimed his own greatness. He kept deferring. All the glory belongs to God, all the glory belongs to Jesus. In first century, when, when they would crucify, you know what they would do? They wouldn't, in America, when, when we execute someone, it's behind closed doors, no one sees it. In the first century, it was public. Imagine going to Santana Road or Valley Fair and seeing three crosses, so that everyone who's shopping could see this man dying. And I know you're some of you come from a Catholic background. He's got a little tidy whities on. No, they crucified Jesus naked to shame him. And when he felt the most shame, when he could have been the most angry and boasted, release the angel, kill all these people. He said, "Father, forgive them." For they know not what they do. Because he didn't need to boast in who he was. He was so confident in who he was and what he was doing. And number three, he saw eternity different than you and I. He wants to open up your eye that there's a greater dream for your life than the American dream. What the disciples saw as death, Jesus saw as life. What the disciples saw as loss, Jesus saw as victory. As what the disciples saw is they took your life. He said, No, I laid down my life. That's why in Hebrew it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, and everyone ran from the cross. What did Jesus see that they didn't see? He defeated death and sin for us. And some of you are chasing things that have blinded you to the reality of God. And Jesus says, You want to see what I see? You gotta sell that worthless gold. I gotta stop boasting. And what you provide, what I provide for you. And I want to give you an ointment, a salve, that will open up your eyes to eternity. If I get every person to stand in this room, I want to pray for you. It's not a fun message to preach, but it's a message we all need to hear. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, thank you so much that you gave us this prophetic word to these seven churches for the last eight weeks, God, we've been studying your word. Wanting to be talk like you, look more like you, Jesus. And every week you've been giving us a new theme, a new emphasis, God. And this week it's something we all struggle with. Something we all deal with. For me, God, it's with my five-year-old, with my spouse, with everyone, God. I'm a prideful person. God, teach me. Teach me not to put my trust and hope in Security that comes from this world. Teach me, God, not to boast. In this moment, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What is he saying? Where are you prideful in your life? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Just confess that sin. And say, Lord, I'm sorry. God, I didn't mean to build my life on this. I just feel your presence, God. Let the Holy Spirit minister. Thank you, Jesus, that you're so humble that you just knock on the door saying, I want to come in. You're a gentleman and you don't kick it down. And you'll wait until we humble ourselves and let you in. God, we want to let you into our life. We want to let you in our marriage. We want to let you in our family. We don't see things the way that they really are, God. Help us see God. The true riches in this world aren't the things that we earn, but the gifts that you give. I just feel led to pray for some of you. You've been feeling this tug on your heart. Jesus is the the living God. I need to explain the gospel to you. 2,000 years ago, before Jesus became a man, he existed eternally as God. The eternal God became human 2,000 years ago. And he didn't come to give us a book. He came to die on our cross for our sin and our pride. And the cross was not something that you add to. It's not your church attendance, you feeding the homeless, plus the cross. It's only the cross. Only his sacrifice for your sin is enough. Forgiveness is not achieved, it's received. And Jesus loves you enough that he sent, God the Father loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And he wants to give you this free gift. It's by grace. It's not by works. We all boast about something, but when you meet Jesus, you boast in what he did for you. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, I wanna pray for some of you, because this is a holy moment. Some of you in a moment are gonna pray for the very first time to receive Jesus your Lord and say, Feeling this tug on your heart, I want to count to three. If that's you, you feel this tug, I want you to shoot your hand up. I'd love, be an honor to pray for you. One, two, three. Just shoot your hand up. I see your hand over here, Amen. I see your hand over there, Amen. I see your hand over here. I see your hand over there. I see your hand over there. I want everyone to pray this out loud. Thank you, Jesus, that you're so humble, that you left heaven for me. You're so humble that you died on a cross for my sin. I repent. I turn from my sin, and I turn towards you. I give you my sin. Now give me your life. Give me salvation. Give Clothe me with your righteousness. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. And everybody said amen. Can we give it up for the hands that went up? Come on. We're going to press in in a moment. We're going to press in, continue with worship, and then we're going to baptize five people. But before we transition, let me just quickly pray for the offering. God, thank you so much that in the most unchurched region in the entire country, we're seeing people come left and right every single week, receive you in Jesus' name. That we're not looking with our eyes. We're looking with our eyes of faith that you are still a living God. You're still saving people. You're still doing miracles, God. You're not done with what you want to do. It doesn't matter what the media says. It doesn't matter what the news says. You're the living God. And you're not done until you say it's done. You're the amen of heaven. And we bring our offering as an act of worship to you. And everybody said. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.